Welcome back to the Idiom Broadcast. My name is Connor O'Brien. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and industry experts, really anyone who we feel can help you grow as a producer. Now, in this episode, I have a chat with producer DLMT. DLMT is a DJ and producer based in Toronto with releases on labels like Armada, Confession, Denmark, and Musical Freedom, and his track Soul Cold hit number one on the Billboard Dance Mix Show Airplay chart just last year. Now for this interview, we start off with DLMT's background, looking at his progression from metal bands in high school to producing on his own in college. We talk about how he built his career early on with no connections, and how he curated a solid fan base to turn his passion for music into a career. On the production side, we discuss his writing workflow, looking at how he separates the writing of a track from the sound design and mixing. He also reveals his favorite techniques for drum programming and processing. His drums are really important to his sound, so it was great to kind of get some insight on that. He also talks about his approach to curating his own sample library and how he adds movement and development to more minimal productions. The LMT also discusses his mixing workflow, offering advice on how to craft a full mix with minimal elements. If you're familiar with his music, you know he's very good at this. And he also offers the single best mixing tip that he's ever been given. Later on, we discuss the long-term ramifications that the pandemic situation might have in the music industry, especially given the large amount of show cancellations that there's been. He also offers great advice on how to build a solid brand and how to stand out as an artist in 2020. Now before we wrap things up, DLMT is releasing a brand new track with Loki tomorrow called Freak. It's out on Denmark. It's a really great track. I'll play you a preview of it as we slide into the interview so you can get a feel for his music. With that, let's wrap things up and get to the episode. Here's the Idiom Podcast with DLMT. Call me what you wanna. Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dan, who releases under the name DLMT. Dan, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. So to start, I'd like to learn a bit more about your background with music. You can go back as far as you'd like, but I'd like to learn what got you into music and later on music production. Well, um, I mean, I've always been into music. You know, I've always been a music lover. And uh, I started actually on piano when I was a young kid, and I hated it. I was... My dad, he's, he's, he's big into music too, and he... Kind of forced me into, you know, taking theory and taking piano lessons. And I, I remember my first piano teacher. She was like so hard on me, and I, I would never do my uh, my studying. But it definitely paid off now that I, you know, you know, know my uh, theory and stuff like that. But yeah, that was when I, from a young age. Then I kind of moved on. I, I tried guitar, um, went to drums, and that's where I really found my passion. And I actually, before I was a producer, I was in a metal band for a couple of years, and we actually had like you know. We were, we were doing some tours and stuff like that too. And I I was doing that until I think it was 19, 20. And then I decided to go to school, you know, get a real job. And yeah, when I was in school, I went to school for engineering and I hated it as well. And on my free time, I started producing on the side. And that's how this started, you know, and I, I just in my free time did this. It was my hobby and slowly became my full-time job, so... Were you, I kind of want to go back to the metal band phase because I think that's yeah. interesting. So were you like touring and doing all of that while you were in high school? Yeah. So while I was in high school, we, I started when I was, I think in grade 10. Yeah. When I was in grade 10, we, you know, we kind of started doing it just in our, in my basement and we then recorded a couple songs and people started to really like it. And I think back then that kind of scene, like the whole Vans Warped Tour and that, that kind of thing was a lot bigger, but yeah, we, uh, 
we were doing that and it kind of went to the point that we, we went through a bunch of band members and, you know, people, I wanted to be more serious than actually like it was like a lot of the guys just thought it was kind of for fun. And then we got offered some record deals and some of that. And half the guys bailed cause they're like, Oh, this is just a fun thing. You know, we didn't want to get this serious yeah. with it, but that's kind of, that kind of started my passion for it. And you know, like doing music myself right now, it's a lot easier to just literally be my own, like in my own band, you know, it's just myself. I don't know if we deal with like, other people's opinions, other people's like, you know, they want to do this with it. They want to do this, you know, other people's creative minds. But that's why I like, like collabing with people, right? Cause you know, I can bounce ideas off them, but it's just easier to do it myself like this. Right. Totally. I feel like you see a lot of producers that get into like the EDM scene. So many of the big ones were previously in bands and so much of the like idea of creative control and not having to rely on other people. Oh, totally, I think it's yeah. a common thread in a lot of producers. And I think it's tough to find a very successful producer that isn't extremely motivated and driven. Like you can't just accidentally fall into like getting a record deal with spinner or something like that. Like that's oh, for just sure. not yeah, how definitely. you have to put in so many hours that you don't just fall into that. Definitely. Definitely. That definitely makes sense. Yeah. So kind of go back to you were in school for engineering. Did you end up finishing kind of like talk about where you were with music and with your sense towards what you wanted to do with life at that point? For sure. So I had a couple classes. I think I had two courses I had left to finish. Um, but I ha I was working actually as an engineer for the city of where like my, my city is Hamilton, uh, just outside Toronto. Um, and I was working for the city as a and like a project coordinator there. And on the side, I was kind of making you know some music. And I released a song called Forbidden Dreams, which is my first actual single I released. And a label out in Europe in Amsterdam picked it up. Um, and then they actually brought me out there for two and a half months for like a tour with like, you know, I was kind of thrown into it. Like I had literally like played on CDJs once in my life before. And they brought me out there and like booked me on a tour with Chocolate Puma. You know, I was playing with Mike Williams. I was playing with all these guys that I was like new to this. And I was like so nervous. Right. So it was kind of like I was really, really thrown into it um, out of the blue. So that I think definitely helped kickstart it because as soon as I got back, I quit my job and I was like, you know, I'm going for this and I haven't worked on music or uh, other than music. I haven't done that like anything else since. So when you first released that track, um, I kind of want to like tie that into when you were in the metal band phase, you were so motivated to like make that your career. When you did that first release under the DLMT project, was that you being like, I really want to do this. This is going to be something or were you just kind of having fun with production? Well, I done a couple of remixes um, before that that were kind of just for fun. And, you know, and that kind of like I started seeing some momentum from that. And the first single I did, which is now almost like four million streams, which is crazy for a first release. Yeah. When I saw that, like it, it was at that time, that kind of sound of that future house music was really, really in. So that song really picked up momentum. And, you know, I had a lot of fans and I built a lot of my core fan base from that track. And um yeah, when I saw that, I was like, wow, maybe I, like, you know, I have something here. Like, I, I might have some, some shot of this, you know? What initially drew you to that, like, specific genre or style? Actually, I went out, um, I never really listened to dance music before. I was always more into rock, you know, rap and stuff like that. And I went with some friends, I think it was four or five years ago. I went with some friends and I saw, I think it was Cosette. And I saw them because my friends were like, oh, yeah, come to this. Like, this is like a dance music, you know, come out to this. And I had such a fun time. And I remember like I was hearing my like the music in my head for like two days after. And like, I think through the the times, you know, you finally you slowly fine tune your your sound and um, you find what my niche and my niche market is right for like my sound and what I really like dive into. Right. So when you were kind of tr 
trying to figure out what your niche was, did you have anyone else around you that was producing electronic music? Like, no, not at all. It was, it was like literally, so it was, I was, I was kind of producing some rap stuff with my buddy. Um, and that's how I got into the kind of the more producing side of it. And, uh, I told all my, you know, I told my parents, I told my friends, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be a DJ. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to start producing dance music. And they're like, okay. You know, they laughed at me. They're like, yeah, yeah, you do, you do that. Right. So now I like, look who's laughing. Right. But, um, but yeah, it was weird. Cause you know, everyone's kind of like, you know, a DJ. Oh yeah. You know, that was not going to work out, but it was kind of me just doing it myself. You know, I didn't really have any friends who were in the scene. I kind of had to find my own way in. And a lot of the context and people I, I knew weren't actually in Canada at all. Or like even the States yeah. was a lot of it was in Europe. So a lot of my connects were there. That's why I did, you know, I, the next summer after I did that first tour, I went back and, you know, played a bunch of shows in Europe and I was mainly playing all my shows were in Europe, not even like locally where I live. So like the first shows I ever played were literally in Europe, which is pretty, pretty crazy to start, you know? Yeah. So you mentioned that kind of earlier on, people didn't necessarily take you seriously wanting to be, wanting to have a career as a DJ. Has that ever flipped for you? I would presume it did at some point. Yeah. I mean, like. Like, you know, after I quit my job, you know, I was, I was, I had to move back home and, um, to, I couldn't really, you know, support myself too much with, uh, with the music, you know, because there's when you first, especially when you first start, first of all, the music industry is tough. You know, it's like, there's so many people yeah. in it, you know, it's like, it's oversaturated to really make a living, you know, it's, it's tough. It's cutthroat. So my parents at first were like, what are you doing? You know, like you had a great job, like a solid job. You could provide for your family and now you're quitting to do music. They're like, so they never really understood it until, I think like literally last year until they actually started, started seeing the benefits. You know, I had the track so cold that went number one on billboard and they're like, I think they finally understood, started understanding what I was really doing. Right. Yeah. It, it definitely takes a while. You know, people around me, you know, like, like really like family members and friends and, but yeah, if people finally start seeing that, you know, I think it's because I stuck it out and uh, you know, a lot, a lot of people don't and it's scary. It's scary to do that. Right. You don't know. It's the unknown. Right. So you don't really know what's going to happen because it's anything could happen. Right. I never knew that track. So cold was going to blow up that much. You know, I don't, I don't know any of these tracks would. So it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's hoping and praying that it, it does. Right. So you said earlier on, you were kind of working with future house music from yep. there. You kind of climbed up with a lot of big labels with like confession after hours. Um, so cold eventually got, I think, upsigned to um, Armada, which Armada, is really yep. cool. Yeah. How did you end up um, or how did you build those connections to start working with those labels, especially given the fact that you're in Canada and it didn't seem like you had any connections kind of going into this industry? Well, I mean, the guys from Future House, they were great, you know, to start off. And I, I think I actually have a track coming out again with them um, this summer on their sub label, um, a partnered uh, release. But yeah, I mean, it started with that. And I guess just people started reaching out to me. They saw my tracks were streaming really well. Um, through some contacts from other artists who reach out to me. I did some collabs. That's why I got on After Hours originally. Like, I guess labels, they people start hearing some hype. You know, they start hearing some some chit chat and I had people reaching out and then um, through the Armada, we never actually were in contact with them, but they, I guess, heard the track so cold and they saw that it was doing good numbers and I guess believed in it. And they reached out to the original label, Perfect Havoc, and they upstreamed it. And, you know, now we've done another track with them, Best I've Ever Had, which, you know, it's a great track. And I think, you know, we might have another one coming out this year as well with them too. Cool. So I think that kind of catches us up to speed with where you're at right now. Um, I kind of want to slide things over into production. I think a good okay. question just to fire it off is 
you're starting a new track, don't have vocals or anything, kind of what is your production process for a blank slate in the DAW? Well, a lot of times I'll have either an idea in my head or a melody that I've heard somewhere that I, or not that I've heard somewhere, but I like, you know, I was <laughs> kind of like singing somewhere or, yeah. uh, you know, that's something that popped in my head and I'll kind of like be humming it and like, I'll either put that melody down or, you know, I'll have an idea for like a drop. I'll hear something in my head. A lot of times I do start with a drop if I don't have a vocal. Um, but typically when I make a song, like from what I start with is never, never the same, like what I end up with, you know, like my projects will literally change 15, 16 times from the time I start it to what it ends up like, like there might be some core like elements there, but it, it typically, it evolves so much. Cause you know, like sometimes you'll be, you'll be working on something and you'll kind of like do something by accident. You're like, Oh, that would actually be great in this track. You know, that that's really cool. And then yeah. you hear something else and it, it switches so many times. So I don't know every to be honest every single song is different that i start i i never find it's the exact same thing sometimes you know i'll have a vocal that i wrote with someone and it's just a scratch vocal and all i do like working with vocals though you know i like i like building a song around a vocal or i'll i'll either write a basic chord pattern and it's like a, a skeleton of a, a track and i'll go and get vocals for that you know i'll write something for it yeah. and then i'll come back to it after that so you kind of talked about starting with your drop ideas and you said that you reiterate and kind of build off of those a lot. I think one thing that would be interesting for you to talk about, anyone that's a fan of your music knows that your drops are this like great blend of unique sound design and really catchy melodies. Do you do those two kind of simultaneously or do you have like a basic sound that you build a melody with? Kind of talk on that. Well, I think the biggest thing for me is drums. Um, and, you know, a lot of people, so I program my drums very, so they, they, they slap, you know, they, they really stand out in the songs. And because I was a drummer, I think that's kind of my core of songs. And so I often start with just drums, you know, I'll get a good groove. If the drums, if you can listen to the drums just themselves and you can kind of like bob your head a little bit, you know, and there's, there's some groove there, you have a good structure, right? You need a good backbone before you can really build anything on it, right? Yeah. It's just like a house, right? You need a good foundation. So what would you say to like a newer producer that doesn't find the drums that important? You know, like there's only like a couple of different basic patterns that you can do. There's not that much flex. What would you say to some newbie producer that said that to you? Well, I mean, every song, every style is different, you know, like me compared to some other producer, you know, they're, I, I listen to a lot of different music and sometimes, you know, the drums are not that present, but the song still has a great mix and it's, you know, still slaps really hard, but like it, it all depends on what, I guess you're going for it in your track you know um i do find though in dance music especially house music that your drums are a big core foundation and you really need that groove and you need that kick and kick your your kick bass um ratio is like one of the most important things you know like everything below 200 hertz um if you can get that really tight in a mix that's gonna really really st uh, bring your track out so anything that you rely on from like a production post-processing standpoint to get your drums to poke out of the mix layering i'll say it a hundred times layering that is the most important thing i layer my drums like crazy so i know i know so many people and when they send me stems it's like one little clap you know and it's like to really get your drums to first of all i i post process you know in a bus process or a bus uh compressor and i'll put like a saturation on my claps you know and i'll layer a kick with like you know three different layers sometimes um on the high end to make it really fit in the track and that's a lot of stuff I find I do after the, a lot of the production is done you know I'll go through and really fine-tune the sounds but yeah layering is I think the most important thing because you can you can bring out certain elements to a sound that you couldn't do with just like post-processing 
instead of like if you actually bring another sound into it. So say I like I have a clap that's very mono, right? I to like to to add stereo to it instead of like using some plugin that's gonna like mess with the transients on it. Um, I can just literally bring another clap to add that stereo width, you know, and I can bring that slap to it. I can bring that low into it. I can bring all these elements by just layering. And I feel like a lot of people actually don't layer and people don't, people don't think of that. Right. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people, when they approach layering, especially when it comes to drums, just think like, let's just stack samples on top of each other. We'll get the five loudest cymatics claps that we can and then exactly, put them together yeah. and that'll work. But yeah, no, kind of like yeah. what you're saying, you're like, okay, what does this need? What is it missing? I'm going to go listen to a reference track. There's has more width, highs, yep, lows, exactly, mids, yeah. whatever that is. Find something that has that because... I, I really like the way that you put it, where it's just like, I can't get that effect. Let's just say you were missing highs on your clap. I can't necessarily get that effect just with some saturation or some EQ. Yeah, you can boost it, but what if there's nothing there? Grab another sample that has what you want and then carve that in. The biggest, the biggest thing is you can't polish a turd, right? So like, yeah, might as well start with a, like a quality sound. So all the sounds I use, I try to keep them as close as original to the sound as they are. You know, like if I have a sound that's, already sounds good i'm not gonna have to do too much to it that's gonna really warp the sound so like if you start with quality high quality samples and sounds or whatever you're using to create your drums or your pads or your bass whatever it's gonna be way easier for you to you know process it yeah i mean obviously when it comes to drum mixing sample selection is 90 percent of what it takes to get a good drum mix Oh, exactly. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's hearing what's, what sound good. You know, it's trial and error, you know, trying this, does that work? And EQing is your biggest tool for that. You know, EQing and spatial awareness is, is clutch for that. So do you have a general workflow when it comes to samples? I think some producers love having splice open and some people just have like their own curated sample pack. Talk about what you generally use for that. Yeah. I think I, for drums, I've kind of created my own, um, base of samples that I use. You know, I have like 10 to 15 different kicks that I'll use that I'll rotate between, um, depends on the kind of style I'm going for for that song. So yeah, I think I have my own samples. You know, sometimes if I if I hear something, oh this 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 song they kind of did something like that, I'll go and find some samples on Splice. You know, Splice is the greatest tool for all that stuff. Yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll search for something. It's you literally just go through samples and oh this this is cool. You know, sometimes it's it's great for creative too if you're going through samples and you hear something that's different that you wouldn't necessarily use because I find you can get stuck into a pattern of using the same sounds and that's not gonna really bring creative to creativity. And, you know, variety to your tracks if you're not really exploring and doing something out of the norm. Yeah. And I think that's a great way to approach it. Have like a base collection of sounds that you use, but slowly adding small amounts to it. So you're not, you know, just building from scratch every single time, which you can do, but you'll also not release a lot of music if you do that. Exactly. You know, it's, it's easier too if, if a lot of times I'll start with just, I'll, I'll literally drag in stems from another track I did, um, and quickly build on that because instead of like starting from scratch, I can actually have an idea like done way faster. And then after I'll, I'll go through and switch up a bunch of stuff, you know, mess with the sounds because before I would, I would get stuck. So for so long on building a track and it would take me like months to even like get a track done. But I think workflow is clutch, you know, figure out what works for you. There's no right or wrong answer for workflow. Um, it's literally what works for you. And for me, it was, you know, it was going through, um, I would, I would spend so much time on mixing the sounds as I went that I would mm-hmm. get so stuck on that that I wouldn't, like, me building structure for a song would take forever. Yeah. So lately, I've just been literally just building the song, just, like, toss a limiter on the the master, you know, just build a song, get that core ideas there, and then after, dive into the mix, you know, dive into, like, the sound design and everything, right? So. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really valuable lesson, especially for kind of more intermediate producers where... 
it's good to know whether or not you should sink 50 hours into a track. And exactly the way that you know that is kind of like what you said, build out the structure, have like the core idea down where you're like, okay, I can tell that this is going to be a great finish track at some point. I think pretty much any professional producer can hear that when they hear a demo, they know, okay, all the things are there. There's just some kind of more objective mixing things that need to be done. For sure. Exactly. Yeah. So I kind of want to go back to one question from earlier. I feel like you've got a couple different vibes that you run with when you're releasing. Sometimes it's a bit more kind of like darker and moodier, I would say. Um, Mm -hmm. Like your track freaks like that. Sometimes it's a little bit more uplifting. When you're walking into the studio, do you have like a general vibe with that? How do you kind of decide where you're going to take the mood and space of your music? Man, I don't even know. Sometimes (laughs) it's like literally my mood of the day or like, honestly, a lot. I find a lot of it is what I'm listening to at that time. If I'm really into a certain kind of like, like really like lately I've been really like so this track freak I actually made it with Loki I think we finished it last October or something like that so that was kind of a sound that yeah it's been a while it's been a while right so I mean we fine-tuned in sense but like that was kind of I I have an EP coming up too and a lot of the tracks are kind of that similar style but lately I'm doing a lot more housey kind of stuff you know a lot more upbeat groovy kind of like drum filled stuff and I find it's it relates to what I'm kind of listening to at the moment or what I like playing out in the club you know and yeah, it all depends. You know, I have I have some some tracks that are more definitely more radio uh, curated, and um, yeah, I guess it it really all depends. And sometimes, you know, I, I'll try doing something with a track and it doesn't work, and you know, I'll try. Okay, what if I try something a bit more poppy? You know, what if I try something a bit more upbeat? What if I try something darker for this? And it, it all depends. You know, some tracks it just fits right, and it's like you hear right away, and it's like, okay, that's meant to be. You know, some tracks it just feels like it's it's a remix of your own original you're doing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't feel like everything's like clicks, you know, and I find when you're, when you're building, sometimes you just hear a melody or hear like you'll build something and it's like, okay, that's meant to be, yeah, that's it right there. Yeah. So we both briefly mentioned freak, which is going to be your new track out with Loki tomorrow. Talk a little bit about how that track came to be. Well, actually it was last August. I kind of sat down and I had this idea um, for this track and I kind of built out this, um, this drop stem and skeleton. And I met with, um, his name is Richard Bynan. Bynan, he's a great producer from Montreal. And he hooked me up with Loki because they're under the same, yeah. um, same label and management as Cascade and stuff like that. And he's like, I think this would be a great track if you guys did it together, etc. So he put us in touch. I sent it to him. He wrote these fire vocals over it. Um, he originally was actually him. And then we got, I think he got his girlfriend to redo it. Yeah, so he sent me back the vocals and like did all this cool production on it and we bounced the stems back and forth. And we actually never actually met up because he's based in Vancouver. And um, we did it all, I think it, it literally took us like two and a half weeks to get it like done. It, like after like I sent him, it was done. It was done. And yeah. it's, yeah, it, it flowed really well. Um, and we have another one too that's actually, we just finished up. It's a really cool track as well, but. So one thing that I'm really impressed with for that track that is pretty common in the majority of your music is you're able to create this kind of big and full mix with not a lot going on melodically in your drops. Like I think yeah. it's pretty much just like drums, which I'm guessing kind of your answer to this question would be how important the drum programming and processing is. But mm-hmm. how are you able to craft such like a big and full mix with really not a lot going on synth wise when you have maybe just one or two things going on at a you know yeah. at any point? So that is the biggest thing there is sound design. So it's picking which sounds are gonna fill the mix. Um where they're supposed to be, you know? So like, like a, a lot of, a lot of people will, I even used to do it to be honest until like 
even like a year ago, not even like less than a year ago, I used to, I used to fill it with um, a lot of the room with reverb. And that creates a muddy mix, you know, and this was one of the first, well, one drink as well, but this um, this track, I, I kind of try to use as little reverb and as little little extra sounds as I could. And I think it's the the bass, the bass and the, the kick and the snare ratio. Even if you listen without the leads, it already sounds full. And it's just because the sound selection and the sound um, design in it really fills that that stereo image as well as the mono and in this it's just the sound the the drums are really centered while the bass is wide and the lead fills that up and the vocal is really strong too so everything just kind of fits where it's supposed to so that's why i think it it, it works really well the best advice someone gave to me ever was if you picture if you picture um your project when you open it so this is for like stereo imaging right because you know it's like 180 degrees is how you how you visualize your stereo right so Someone told me when you open your project, your DAW, whatever it's Logic, Ableton, Pro Tools, FL Studio, um, it is at 100%. So that means it, there's, it's empty. So it's like you picture it like a room. So you say you move into a new place and you say you look at the living room and it's empty. It's at 100%. Same with your DAW. Yeah. You want to pick stuff to go in that room or your DAW that's going to accent each other. So every single thing you add clutters that room or your DAW more. So every single thing has to you know have its spot, have its place to really accented so you know it's really like bring out another uh, characteristic in that room or in that in that um in that doll right so that's what someone told me and i was kind of like you know it makes sense like each sound has to have its specific place to really bring all of it together i think that makes a ton of sense um yeah and like i think that even goes back to what we were talking about earlier with sample selection like every single exactly, element yeah. you can do a great full mix with middle months of elements if each of those exactly. has its perfect place in the mix yeah, each, each everything has to have its spot in the mix. You know, you can't just put in random stuff because, oh, it sounds cool. Like, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of music that it does, but like, it has to be done tastefully, right? So yeah, I, I want to go back on one idea that you mentioned. Um, you kind of mentioned if you get your kick, snare, and bass as full and as big as possible, your lead has less heavy lifting to do with exactly. making the mix sound full and interesting. And personally, like, I think it's a lot easier to get a bass to fill up your mix than it is to get a lead. So you know totally. make things a little bit easier get your kick snare bass get those as loud as you can it's a lot easier with saturation and distortion and then you can get you know a more unique tone with your lead sounds but you don't have to put as much pressure on getting that as like big and full as you need to exactly so like if you're listening to your track and you know a lot of times like outros of songs or like your third part of the drop is kind of like your outro to the, to the second verse that often is just like without the lead or you know it's like if you can listen to that and still be grooving without your lead and it sounds good without that already, like, you know, you have something because then you add your lead or whatever your top element is going to be that yours, like your, your melody. And that's just going to be like ear candy, right? That's just going to be the sugar on top. So if you can figure out everything below, everything below 200 Hertz is kind of like, if you can get that tight and like side chained to like your bass perfectly to the kick, you know, um, a lot of guys use longer, like uh, kicks, you know, like a uh, more sub in it and longer decay. Um, I like to use short kind of punchy kicks with like, so the bass comes in faster. That's just my personal preference. But um, yeah, I find that's the most important thing for myself. You know, I mean, in some other genres, it's not as important to have your, your kick and your bass as loud. It's more about the melodies, you know, some more progressive kind of like future house, like stuff like that. You know, it's, it's more about the leads and the melodies and that's more present. Right. Um, so it, it all depends on Liddy what style you're going for. But for my sound, the more grungy, um, deep house, like techie, I don't even know what style it is I really do. But 
um, I find that works, you know, that's that really in the club and, you know, it just, it brings everything out. Totally. It's like your flavor and what works for that. And I think exactly. it's yeah, important to understand because yeah. you're like, Hey, I see these dope tracks from producers that are in a similar style, but I can get something, you know, that's equally as good in a different approach. Like you're not like, Oh, well, so-and-so has long punchy kicks. So I have to, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's, there's literally no right answer. You know, like a lot of people are like, you know, you have to do this in this mix to get that sound. But like, honestly, listen to it. If it doesn't sound good, don't do that. If it like, there's so many methods that are like, you have to like, you have to cut below 200, um, everything in stereo, right? Like sometimes I don't do that because it doesn't sound good. You know, like it all depends on what sounds good. Like it, trust your ears. Your ears are your biggest tool. You know, there are definitely certain things you must do because it's going to phase or there's going to be issues in the club. But like a lot of it, it comes down to what sounds good. Um, I have methods that I've told people that they're like, what the heck you do? That's so weird. I've had other people tell me stuff like, you know, it's hard to recreate what someone else does because everyone produces differently. Everyone's different, right? I feel like that's why you just have to find what works for you and any advice or tips that you hear, you always just have to internalize and question, should I be doing this? Does this work for me? Does this work for my sound? Like, exactly. kind of like you said, like some people, it doesn't, it, they don't need to be as surgical about monoing below 200 Hertz. Like I forgot who I was hearing talk about that. Daryl Thorpe who's a really big um, Grammy award winning mixing engineer. Mm -hmm. He's like, yeah, he's like, I barely do that. Yeah. He's like, I, I know, like it. It, I like it, to have some low end rumble. And he has exactly these cool is. kind of moody analog mixes. And I'm like, oh, interesting. I don't need to be for, you know, if you're going for that style, I don't need to be as surgical with that. Yeah. I mean, like in, in freak, actually, I think we only cut it at like a hundred or something like that because, because the bass was so centered already I needed. And like, there wasn't much on the sides. I needed kind of some, like some, um, some bass and some width on the sides and some more like low end. So I kind of like, I was like, you know what? It doesn't, it, it doesn't hurt to do this. And the lead even was kind of like, the low end was meshing with the bass, but it actually sounded really cool. So technically I shouldn't have done that, but it sounded really cool. So I left it, you know, and that's uh, like, that's, that's, that's just like trial and error, right? A lot of it is just yeah. sitting in the studio. You know, I've, I've honestly sat in, in my studio for like over 10,000 hours, not even joking and like just working on it. You know, I can hear mm. it kind of slowed down, but for a while I could hear like my differences in a mix or a track from three weeks prior to three weeks. And I'd be like, wow, like that's just literally trial and error. Just, learning stuff you know just figuring out things and watching tutorials it's it's a great way to do it so i want to go back on um you said that sound design is pretty important to how you're able to craft such interesting mixes so talk about are there any plugins whether it's like the synths that you're using samplers or any post-processing plugins that are pretty important to your sound design workflow so i started using um my main i guess in the box um vsts are silent massive and serum so those are my core things. Um, but I started lately. I, so I, I've, I've been using a lot of analog since lately. And, you know, all my recent tracks have actually been with the Sub 37 by Moog and the Prophet Rev 2. And, you know, those are, it's insane. The, the sound, the bass that you can get out of the Sub 37. It's like, like both So Cold and One Drink were both, the bass was done in that. You know, it, it just gives it this low end feel that there's certain frequencies in it that you can't get out of like a computer, you know, it's just, it's not there. It's we're, we've gotten pretty close to what we can get it, but it's just, it won't ever match that. So, um, yeah, that's, that's how I got a lot of the core sounds. UAD is like my, my best friend. Um, they have some amazing plugins out there mainly for like mixing mastering. Yeah. I, I don't do too much to post-processing on the sounds. Um, you know, I'll just do gain boost on sounds, you know, some EQing, Fab Filter is great for, you know, Pro, Pro Q2 is great for that. Um, uh, I do a lot of side chaining on a lot of elements, you know. So a lot of people just use a, 
LFO tool or they'll use like a kick or whatever it's called. Um, Kickstart. Your Merrill. Yeah, Kickstart, yeah. Um, I'll use that as well as the One Knob Pumper by Waves is a great tool. I love use that a lot. Interesting. But Interesting. I, yeah, but I also use kind of an old method. I don't know why I still do it, but I find it works great, is I will side chain two. So I'll create another channel of the kick itself. I'll put that as no output, but it's still triggering. I'll use a compressor on whatever sound. Say I'm side chaining the bass to the kick. Run that kick through a side chain in the compressor and have it so it like um, it kicks out every single time it hits, right? So, I, I mean, that's kind of an old method, and a lot of people I talk to don't really use it anymore, but I find it worked great for my stuff. So it's I've always always done it, and I'll, I live by it, right? Yeah. I mean, I think there's no right way, and I think kind of going back to, like, what your workflow is like, like mm-hmm. using a ghost trigger, kind of like what you're saying, sometimes using yeah. Kickstart, sometimes using LFO tool. Like, yeah, LFO tool is, you know, technically more in depth than a Kickstart, but I honestly yeah. find myself using Kickstart more just because it kind of works. Yeah, same, yeah. And I think <laughs> you see a lot of people that are like, yeah, like, yes, it's better, but this works, so screw it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it matters what works, yeah. So another production question that I want to ask, and it might yep. be kind of tough to answer this, is going back to kind of what we're talking about with that minimal mix, I feel like you do a great job maintaining interest in your drops. You've got a lot of small changes and switch ups mm-hmm. and ear candy. Any advice for kind of your workflow for integrating those into your um, just into your tracks? Well, I mean, I used to be very basic in that mindset that um I would make tracks and they kind of be the same thing over and over. And, you know, I was, I was starting to have people like some friends be like, yeah, you need to like switch up your style and stuff like that. And I, I think the more I, the more confident I get in, in production and stuff like that, the more I'm able to experiment and try new things. Right. So I think in the drop, you know, always my second drop in a track will always be a bit different than the first. Yeah, I guess, I don't know. In, in a song, you know, there has to be, if ever a song I'm listening to and I'm like, okay, I'm bored, you know, like that's a sign for me. Okay. I need to change something here. Something needs to change. Um, yeah. the yeah. biggest thing is your flow is, is your structure of a track. You know, there's, there definitely is a certain structure for certain tracks. And if that track for some reason is getting dull in one part, I'm like, okay, what can I do here? How can I switch this up? And that's honestly the, that's what I spend most of my time on is the workflow of a song and the, how it flows. And if like, there's sometimes the littlest changes I'll do like, Oh, this needs a little bit of a riser here. Oh, this needs like, I need to add a little bit of reverb to this part to make it really like flow. You know, I need to cut a bit here. And like, I'm so picky when it comes to that, that, that flow, everything needs to flow perfectly together. Right. So I think that's the biggest part is listen. And if, if you're listening, kind of like, don't focus on it, but like, kind of like, listen, like it's almost in the background. And if some part sticks out to you, like, Oh, that's kind of weird. Then, you know, it's like, it doesn't flow perfectly. Right. One of the main things that I'm taking away from that is even if they just seem like small incidental effects and one shots, you're spending a lot of time to fine tune those and get those to sit perfectly. Because, yeah, because, you know, like what I'm doing, like sometimes these little effects that like no one else will ever hear, it over affects the overall whole flow of a song because someone else might, might not realize what I just did, but they'll know somehow, like they'll know like, oh, that doesn't sound like if like so cohesive, right? But they won't know exactly what I did. But like those little changes that I maybe I only hear, like, there's even some songs like I put out that I'll hear, I'll listen back. And I'm like, ah, oh, shit. Like I should, or I should have done something there different. You know, I like, I should have done something. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it depends, you know? Yeah. I think one thing that I hear a lot 
And I'll get a lot of tracks from kind of more intermediate producers where their solid Mm. idea is pretty, their core idea is pretty solid, but they just write it for way too freaking long where I'm like, I need a change up from it. You know, part of that is they just like have it in every section. I'm like, you're not disclosure. You can't do that. But outside of that, (laughs) like finding ways, I call it the disclosure arrangement where you're like, if your core idea is so good, just run it for five minutes. But exactly. And there's certain songs you can actually do that with. Right. And there's a lot of tech tracks, you know, a lot of, there's a lot even progressive tracks that the idea can go for so long, but it's how you build it. Are you chocolate Puma is a great thing for that too. They do that yeah, as well. Totally. Like, but almost a whole song they'll build constantly. It's just one little element. They'll add a little like a shaker. They'll add like an extra like lead part, extra something that every single part builds and it piques that interest. So like, it's just how you do it. If you're like you said, yeah, if your core element is, or your idea is so good, you know, it doesn't get boring. It's just how you, how you flow from that, like, you know, eight bar segment to the next eight bar segment or something. Right. And that's why I like your mentality where you're like, Hey, if I'm getting bored with this, I need to switch it up and try to add some other things. And it doesn't seem like you're so cemented, like this has to change, but you're like, I don't know, let me try some new stuff and see if this can make the idea better. Worst case, go back to your old project or just hit command Z a couple times. Exactly. You know, it's, it's all trial and error. It's like, sometimes like I was, I was doing a, I'm working on a track right now and I've, I think I've had seven different project ideas for this track because like, like I just couldn't come up with thing. And finally I had an idea and a breakthrough. I was like, okay, there we go. That that's it. You know? And like the other ideas, they weren't bad, but they just didn't have that, like that. They didn't click with me. They didn't, I wouldn't want to listen to this over and over. And if I don't want to listen over and over and I've heard it a hundred times already, you know, then like who else, no one else is going to want to listen over and over. Right. So I find a track for me is like, I try to create, I mean, not every track I can do this with obviously, but like, you know, the biggest thing is a timeless track. You know, if a track that you can listen to like, over and over and not get bored of it. That's kind of a a goal, right? And I think just like one more thing on that is like everybody kind of knows that you need to write a lot of tracks to get just one good one. So the more that you can get comfortable with that, where you're like, hey, I'm going to do seven versions of this drop before I get a good one. Then you have seven to choose from and it's the best from that. I think you'd be surprised how many of your favorite artists did that or do that. Oh, so many. And I mean, like, to be honest, not every single track that I even if I think it's good, will come out. I have so many tracks I'm sitting on right now that probably will never, ever come out, but I still play live yeah. and, you know, and there's uh, often too, like, you know, I think it was the Beatles or something like that. They, or no, it was Qu- Beatles or Queen or something like that. But they had, I think like 40 songs they were sitting on and they ended up going back for their one album and they ended up going back and taking parts of those songs, bringing them into other songs and kind of like, I, I forget if it was the Beatles or Queen, but I often do that a lot too. You know, I'll say yeah. I have a remix someone reaches out for or say collab. And I'm like, oh, actually, I had this idea I did a bit ago that would actually be really cool in this song and I'll rework it for that song. So any idea you do, like just because it's not finished or you might not never use it, you know, like it's it's always stuff I stuff I do will always be like come out in some form or another, right? Yeah. You'll learn from everything that you do, even if it isn't a released Exactly. Track. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like every single track I do, you learn more and you know, like, hey, that doesn't work. So how does this work? And I mean, the more I work, the more efficient I am like that. If I work an idea, usually it ends up being something, right? Instead of just like kind of just sitting there. Cool. So kind of moving a bit away from production, you released a great steady stream of music and it sounds like you've got, you're just constantly writing music. What does your daily workflow look like right now, especially with regards to staying as productive as you are with releasing and writing music? Yeah. So, I mean, like every day is different right now. It's typically, you know, I I find I work better late afternoon and at night, you know, um, that's just my creativity and my workflow, you know, I'll get up in the morning, have my breakfast, coffee, you know, go for a run, work out, go through some emails, talk to my team about what's planned for the day, what's planned for the week, kind of get in the studio, look at what I'm doing, you know, kind of 
late list this past week i've been kind of focusing on one track i've been trying to do and nothing kind of came out with that um so i i I find sometimes if i focus too much on one track you can lose your creative process so i've you kind of sometimes have to just move away from it you know try something else because then that something else if you work on something else your your creative flow might be rekindled and you can go back to that track another day right so yeah, the workflow is kind of like you know I'll sit in here just kind of like check out some new music you know check out what I have going on, you know I have so many tracks that are I like are like half done right now or like you know eighty percent ninety percent done that I kind of like go and I work on you know like I'll hear something I'll listen to it the next day I'll be like oh you know what this could use that so I go and tweak that so yeah every day kind of is different a bit I guess so kind of with that I feel like. You know, 2019, especially with So Cold, was such a big year for you. Given all that you've had going well recently, what would you say is the biggest challenge that you face right now as an artist? Right now is live shows. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. I mean, we had a bunch set up for this year, and I think with everything going on, it's going to be a big, big struggle um, when everything kind of... I don't know what the music industry is going to look like in the live front um, coming up. First of all, when everything comes back, it's going to be very cutthroat for getting shows because everyone's going to want to get booked. So it's going to be very, very, very tough to get shows um, for a lot of artists, right? Because because everyone's trying to get booked. So I think that's going to be different. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like in regards to festivals this summer or when everything's going to happen. So, I mean, that's kind of up in there. Um, but I'm not stressing about that right now. You know, I'm, I'm focusing on the releases I have coming out. I have a ton of music coming out. Um, we're really stoked on that. I'm stoked about tomorrow, this track coming out. Uh, I've been working on this for a while. You know, it's kind of a bit of direction. Uh, I'm going for the new, the new style. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I guess the, the future of it right now. So, yeah, just like a big, it's a big question mark with regard. It is a big a question point. mark. Like, you know, the we, industry, we don't really know. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think tours, like everybody's going to be trying to get blocked up that didn't have shows for the past four months, exactly, trying to get yeah. in, in the same month. So it'll be interesting to see if that does like a bigger kind of more seismic shift towards other things too in the industry. Yeah. I mean, I feel like people are going to definitely be different after this. You know, people are going to be very hesitant to going out in a lot of public places with a lot of people, you know, um, I definitely think that's going to change. You know, I just, I just finally got my CDJs today. So I'm doing a bunch of live mixes coming up. That's a big awesome. thing, you know, like all these live mixes, like we have a bunch of clubs we're actually doing live mixes with, you know, a lot of different labels. So that I'm just, I guess I'm just, the big thing now is trying to stay relevant and trying to stay engaged with my fans and my audience and people, you know, how to, how to do that is the biggest thing now. So I think, yeah. um, the live streams are great. You know, a lot of people are using Twitch and Instagram live and all these different tools for that. So that's a great thing. Um, yeah, I guess just stay engaged for anyone listening, just. You know, try to stay engaged with your fans and audience and friends, whatever way you can, you know, think outside the box. New ideas are always great and stuff like that. Yeah. Cool. So a couple more questions and then we'll wrap things yep. up. We got a lot of newer producers listening to this podcast. What advice would you give them to give the best, to give them the best chance of success moving forward with music? Be unique. Think outside the box. I find a lot of people, they'll like a sound and they'll try to recreate it. And it just sounds just like that. You're not going to get anywhere if you make something that's... You could be the best producer and make a song that sounds just like someone else and it's not going to get that far. You know, you might have one one or two songs that are really... That do well, but like what's going to make you stand out is first of all, branding. That's a huge thing and that's something I for a while struggle with, but I think my music speaks for itself. So I guess your branding is huge, your marketing, and obviously your music. So 
think outside the box, you know, you can you can take a bunch of like styles. I think definitely being influenced by people is great. You know, reference tracks are a huge thing when you're building a song, especially starting. Yeah. Have a reference track, you know. Try to dissect that track, especially if you're very like very young beginner. Dissect a track, you know, like figure out how they made that. Figure out like, okay, how do they do this? You know, like how do they mix that? How do they create that sound? That's the, that's what helped me. You know, YouTube is amazing for it. There's so many tutorials. You, if you want to like yeah. figure out how to do this, like YouTube is your best thing. I had no one teach me. I just taught myself, right? Time, spend a lot of time on it. You know, if you're doing it two hours a week, you're not going to get that far, you know, unless you're a prodigy, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, time, uh, you know, determination, don't let what anyone tells you all oh, you can't do this. You know, you're your own boss. You know, you're, you're the, you're the limit to your creativity, what you can do. Right. Mm -hmm. So real quick, before we actually wrap things up, you kind of mentioned that you struggled with branding for a bit and then you kind of found your lane with it. What was that process like? Because I think a lot of producers see the polished brands of their favorite artists yeah. and are kind of clueless in how to get what they have is in terms of their kind of online presence. Well, I mean, there's some some guys like, first of all, like you if you think of branding like top DJs of like you think Marshmallow, you think. Yeah. Mala, you think these guys with actual like strong strong brand but then there's a lot of people who just the name itself speaks for itself or the music itself like they don't have a brand so that's why i'm saying it all depends on what i guess you pick your strong front is you know if your music is strong enough and people like it enough you don't really need that strong of a brand because your name becomes relevant enough as a brand and your music is your brand obviously if you're running your social media and that stuff, you can develop a brand without actually having a brand. You can develop a brand by how you post, um, what style you do, colors, um, all these different things that actually develop brand without specifically someone being like, oh, I see what, he wears a mask or something like that, right? But yeah, there's a lot of different ways to really do that. And, you know, me, like a music sound is literally a brand right there. P people can distinguish yeah. yours right away in like in 10, 10 seconds and be like, oh, that's a DLMT track, right? If I can, if I can have a sound signature, a signature sound in my productions, that's literally a brand right there. Cool. So I kind of want to quickly wrap up with what you got coming mm -hmm. up. I know your track freaks out tomorrow. Everybody go check that out. Otherwise, what's going to be coming up for you in the next three months, presumably during the quarantine? Yeah. Well, I mean, I can't say too, too much, but we've got some very, I probably have my favorite tracks. Like the music I have coming out is probably the best music I've ever produced in my mind. Um, awesome. Little play on words right there. If I haven't caught that, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think uh, I'm really excited for what's coming out. I'm hopefully doing a couple more with Demac, you know, and another one with Confession. Um, but yeah, I have some really cool collabs coming out. Can't really say names yet, but um, stay tuned because we have a lot of music coming out. Especially now with all this, I'm literally in the studio every single day, so I'm producing yeah. a ton of music. So. Yeah, just stay tuned, and we'll be announcing a lot of stuff very soon. Um, I'm starting a new mix series that's coming up soon, so I'm going to be premiering a lot of music of myself in there, a lot of ideas from friends and stuff like that. So, yeah. Sweet. Well, with that, we will wrap things up for this episode. You can all find DLMT's music in the description of this podcast, so go give it a listen as this podcast is just about over. Dan, it's been great chatting with you. Appreciate being on the show. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Go check out Freak, guys. Love it. <laughs>